Welcome to the Equipping Podcast. My name is Nathan, and I am here with my co-host, Karen Henson. (laughs) I don't know what to say. I got scared. Hello. Mm, Yeah. So let's do this. There's probably some people who are new subscribers or new listeners to this podcast. It's true. Who is Karen Henson? What do you do around here? Why in the world are you on this podcast? You know, (laughs) things like that. I broke into the podcast studio, and so that's that's why I'm here. What do I do? So I do a lot of content around Watermark, Mm -hmm. so I help with our women's Bible study and and their study that they do, and then I also help write content for other churches outside of Watermark. So I sit in a cube (laughs) a lot and read a lot of books. My life is thrilling. It's truly. It's so awesome. So if somebody's going to know Karen Henson, like we're recording this on a Friday. On the weekend, what do you do that's like, oh man, that sounds really good. Read books. (laughs) 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 Literally the first thing that I, that came to my mind. I am a cool person. Mm. I do cool things. It sounds like it. I just can't think of any of them right now. That's awesome. Ah. All right. Well, hey, I'll tell you what. I'll give you the weekend to think about it. And then next time you can come back with a list. Okay. Hey, uh, this week we are going to be talking about discipleship with Dr. Mike Wilkins. He has written a book called Following the Master. That's kind of the definitive work on the biblical theology of discipleship. So I'd encourage you to pick that up. But you guys enjoy this conversation with Mike. This week, we are privileged to have on the phone with us from sunny Southern California, Dr. Mike Wilkins. He is a professor at Biola University in Los Angeles and has spent a lot of his academic career focusing on the topic of discipleship. He actually has written a a bunch of different books on discipleship. So one of them I'm looking at is Discipleship in the Ancient World and Matthew's Gospel. And this was actually revised and put into a format to be published, but this was Mike's dissertation. So uh, his PhD dissertation was on discipleship. And then he has written, um, and I say this to pastors quite a bit around here when they ask me, they're like, hey, if you could pick one book for every pastor to read, what would it be? And, uh, you know, a lot of times you'll hear really well-known books and, you know, oh yeah, that's such a great book. And it's funny because I tell them every time I'm like, oh, you definitely need to read Following the Master, uh, Biblical Theology Mm -hmm. of Discipleship. And they're like, what is that? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, well, you need to buy it and find out. So this is a book that uh, is a lot of the stuff from Mike's dissertation, but then he obviously elaborated on it more. It is a biblical theology of discipleship and it just takes us through the way people would have thought about discipleship, the way that they would have practiced discipleship in the ancient world. And what's funny to me is that a lot of times when you put 10 random people, just pluck them out of whatever and put them in a room together and go around and just ask them independent of one another, like, hey, what is discipleship? Mm. Um, You're probably going to get 10 different answers. I mean, some of them may be pretty close to each other, but also... Maybe not. <laughs> yeah. So there's a sense about this where I'm like, hey, we did the podcast with Mike on the book of Matthew and the Matthew's book ends with the great commission to go and make disciples of all the nations and to baptize them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and to teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And I'm with you always, the end of the age. And so this is the commission that Jesus, the master has given to us. And yet so many people don't really even know what it is. 
Yeah. What I hear you saying is that Mike does, though. Mike totally does. Woo. And so that was a really long introduction to say, hey, Mike, we're grateful that you're here with us today. I, I'm, I'm uh, stoked to be with you. I love it, man. You can also tell that this is a subject that I've, I'm super excited to talk about. So so man, let's just talk a little bit. You talk about in this book, especially in chapter two, which is titled Jesus and Disciples Today, you kind of share a handful of stories about people that that you've had similar experiences with, where you start talking about discipleship and there's just a lot of confusion around this term. So provide some clarity for us around that. Yeah, um, I actually do this with my graduate course in exegesis when we're going through either Matthew or Mark in particular. But I'll ask, uh, how many of you are in a discipleship relationship right now? And I usually get a handful of people who want to give some input. And they'll say something along the lines of, well, I'm, I'm meeting with my uh, senior pastor now. And he's helping me to understand what pastoral life is all about. So he's mentoring me. So this is what the discipleship relationship I'm in right now. Or somebody else will raise their hand and say, well, I'm in a small group. And it's a really intense time of memorizing scripture and providing transparency to one another. Or another person will raise their hand and they'll say, that uh, they have been taken along by somebody else in a relationship and they're being trained on how to, to do real ministry. And I'll say, you know, all of those are good and all of those are uh, aspects of what discipleship is about. But let me start with this. The Great Commission allows us to see that you make disciples of all the nations, and those persons you have made a disciple, they are a disciple of whom? Mm-hmm. And they'll pause usually for a while, and then a knowing look comes on their face. <laughs> oh, well, I'm a disciple of Jesus. Yeah. I said, so every one of you should be able to say right now, I'm in a discipleship relationship because Jesus is my master, mm-hmm. and I am his disciple. So the next thing that I'll ask him to do is I say for the rest of this semester, every day, one of the first things I'd like you to ask yourself is, how is Jesus discipling me today? And it's going to enter into now a walk with a living Savior that yes. for many of them, they love the Lord. They know mm-hmm. that Jesus loves them, yeah. but they don't conceive of him as their master. So it's a way of allowing people to see that I am in a discipleship relationship. All of these other things are good and they have their place. And I I would say that they are aspects of discipleship, but truly discipleship is that individual of Jesus. Yeah. And so much of what we experience, especially in the American kind of the Western evangelical church is a loyalty or, or an adherence to a set of propositional statements yes, uh, or doctrines like, Hey, believe this, do this. So you'll see like the kind of programmatic outworking of this, where, like you said, people are memorizing scripture or they're doing an intensive Bible study or something like that. And, and unfortunately that means of grace that God has given to us when employed properly Mm. gets reduced down to, I'll just have to do these things. And, and what gets left out, as you said, is an actual relational interaction with 
the creator of the universe. <laughs> it's right. fine. It's just a you know thing. that one little yeah thing. that little aspect. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Mike, help us understand where like where that came from. Where does that misunderstanding? start? How did it grow? Why, when you ask that question, is my answer, oh yeah, I meet one-on-one with uh, this person for coffee once a week. Like, why? Right. Well, I think it comes in uh, a lot of ways. For example, after World War II, we had a tremendous increase of discipleship ministries. Uh, Navigators, Crusade, InterVarsity, all wonderful, wonderful groups, and I've been involved with every one of them. Mm But their emphasis, when they looked at the church, they saw a lot of dead Christians, and they wanted to bring vitality back to uh, the church. And so what they ended up doing was they would give challenges to people, and they would say, well, you're a Christian, okay, but you're kind of a dead Christian. So what we want you to do is to take seriously what Jesus says about being a disciple, and what they end up doing in, in many of these programs are elitist. What I refer to as elitist is that there's the common Christian and then there's the committed Christian. Mm. The common Christian is waiting to be a committed Christian, which is the equivalent of being a disciple. Mm. And so what they've done is they've, they've really turned things upside down. And instead of seeing, I, I think the, the easiest place to go is the Great Commission. When a person comes out of the nations, when they're a pagan, they become a Christian, but Jesus uses the term disciple. So at the moment of conversion, a person is a disciple Mm -hmm. of Jesus. Mm -hmm. But we don't often pitch it that way. Instead, we want to get really committed persons, and that's when... You know, they move out and they come to this higher level. Yeah. I, I think that's a dangerous thing for the church. Yeah. Well, discipleship then becomes about doing something instead of being with someone. That's right. Yes, exactly right. And there's a sense, I think, in a lot of spaces there where exactly how you measure that a lot of times directly correlates with what you tend to be good at in your own spiritual walk. What do you right, mean? Right, so right. like when someone says, well, a real disciple is somebody who has half the Bible memorized. And oh, by the way, I, I have half the Bible memorized. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. no worry that that same guy does not live at peace with his wife in his home. Right. You know, right. so like people get selective about what they consider the actual metric for discipleship. And yeah. so like with the, each various viewpoint, you get an, a value or an emphasis on a certain aspect of discipleship, right. yes. and then they measure that by that value. But yes. Jesus is calling us into a holistic discipleship to him, and not only in every facet of your practical life, but even more importantly, in your interior, in yes. your heart. Not just what are you doing, but why are you doing what you're doing? Mm. Yes. And so we begin to measure maturity of a disciple just by these external behaviors. And so... Yeah, because it's easy to look at. I mean, it's easy to be like, you either read your Bible or you didn't read your Bible, you know? Yeah. Okay, so what I hear you saying is that we've had a lot of programs that are measuring these external behaviors. And so that's not necessarily the right way to measure discipleship or maturity. And so how would Jesus have looked at this? How would he have measured what a disciple is or what they do? Would he have looked at their behaviors or what do the Gospels tell us? Yeah. Jesus had the same problem in the first century that we have today, is that people have expectations of what discipleship is all about. For example, he 
uh, didn't meet up to the expectations of many people that he would be a conquering Messiah. And so discipleship to him was like joining the zealots. Um, <laughs> and at one point in his ministry, one of the saddest verses in, in the Bible in John chapter six, verse 66, John says, many of Jesus' disciples left him and no longer followed him about. Because Jesus wasn't meeting up to their expectations of what discipleship should be. They wanted a conquering Messiah. And so Jesus now will give three indications of what discipleship to him is all about. I often will give these to pastors and suggest that, you know, this if you want to build a ministry of discipleship, these are what the church is all about. The first one is in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. And this says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, if you, if you look at the context, yes, these are Jews who had believed him. But when you look down further in the context, these are not true believers. These are false believers who had come to Jesus with their expectations of what discipleship should be all about. Mm-hmm. In the context, these these people actually try to kill Jesus yeah. because he wasn't doing what they wanted him to do. And they thought he was blaspheming. So what Jesus is really saying in the passage is, if you abide in my word, it doesn't mean perpetual Bible study. Mm -hmm. And that's the way a lot of people read this. Uh, You will know the truth. The truth will set you free. And it means you just need to hold on to Jesus' teaching, abide in his teaching, and then you become a disciple. Well, that's elitism. Yeah, like get good at the propositional statements, like get good at the doctrines, get good at the quote unquote truth, like it's some abstract thing that you learn or something. That's right. Rather, what Jesus is saying is that my word gives you the truth of what reality is all about. Mm -hmm. And when you hold or abide in my truth about reality, it will set you free from the lies that the world will try to tell you is reality. It would go with, you know, what we talked about uh, last time we were with you in the Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus says to really love your wife is to have eyes for her only. Mm -hmm. Adultery isn't just a physical act, but it's when you have eyes for another woman, when you have thoughts for another woman, that is what is going to lead you into sin. So Jesus abided my statements about reality to have eyes only for one woman. And that will set you free from lust. It'll set you free from the lies of the world that says, boy, if you got a bunch of women, you're one hot guy. Mm-hmm. And Jesus says, no, eyes only for one woman that will set you free from the lies of the world. Yeah. And that's more than just something that you say, yeah, I believe that like on a surface level. Yeah, I, no. I think that there's, there's a sense here when Jesus says abide or remain in there is a deeper sense of, hey, I am resting in this reality. Like there's an active trust that I have here where I'm operating in a different kind of way with a different type of power than the natural world says, you know, oh, we'll just go over here and do this. That term abide is so much deeper than just saying, oh yeah, you shouldn't do that. Yeah, no, exactly. It's really remaining in a sphere of existence 
where Jesus' words about reality are my statements about reality. Mm. And so I compare the words of the world with the words of Jesus about everything. And that sets me free. I mean, success in the eyes of the world is what we have or what we do. Success with the truth of Jesus is that end of life, you hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. That's That's success. So that's living in, remaining in, abiding in the truth Mm -hmm. that Jesus has about every area of life. So that's the first one. The second one he gives is in John 13, 34 and 35. Where in the upper room, he is now giving just a, a wonderful statement of what discipleship truly is about. He says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So what he's saying is that if you don't love, you're not a disciple. Mm-hmm. If you don't love, you're not a Christian. It's not may, could, should, or would, but if you love one another, that is the statement that you are my disciples. Now, is that something, again, we conjure up? No, it's a statement of what happens to my heart when I come to Jesus. Mm. My heart is now the beginning restoration of the image of God in my life occurs with regeneration. Mm. It's not complete in this life, but it's the beginning point of the restoration of who I am in God. The Apostle John, he, he wrote in one of his business, says that we love because we are so loving. No. John says, we love because he first loved us. Oh, yeah, that's First John 4, 19. Yes. So what John is telling us there is that we love because we have been loved by God, which causes us to have God's heart now, a regenerated heart Mm -hmm. that impels us to love. Mm -hmm. And also what it's telling us there is that we have an endless supply of love because God has an endless supply of love for us. I mean, I've, I've sat in many counseling sessions with couples who will say, I just don't love her anymore. Mm. And it's as though it's a, this is a commodity that a person has and you can run out of it. Uh-uh. Mm. If you have been loved by God, you will love one another because God first loved us. So that's why Jesus can say, everyone will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And if you don't love, you're not a disciple. So love is a distinguishing characteristic of discipleship. Then we just have to learn what it is to really love. Let me give a definition of love that I use in this way. An unconditional commitment to an imperfect person in which I give myself to bring the relationship to God's intended purpose. Now, that's a definition that has guided me my whole life in my relationships with my wife, with my children, my grandchildren, with my students. I'll tell them, I love you, and I will give myself unconditionally to the relationship that God has designed for us. But I have to ask, what does God want for this relationship? Mm. And that's what we then ask for every relationship in the church. That's why it will characterize who we are. That's what will characterize our discipleship. Right, and that's why love is sacrificing, because it's not what we want, but it's what he wants. Yes, yes. Well, I think that's what ties in my mind anyway. Uh, 1 John chapter 2 has been helpful 
for me in this regard, just talking about uh, this is not a commodity, but something that God has given us that is sourced and sustained in him. So like you don't run out of it because that would suppose that you could somehow run out of God <laughs> and that's a, that's not right. a that's possibility. Right. So um, like first John chapter two, verse 20 says, you have an anointing from the Holy one and all of you know the truth. And he's talking about the spirit that we have received. And he says later down in the same section, As for you, the anointing you received from him remains. That's that same word for abide. It abides in you. And you don't need anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real and not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, and then this is the interesting thing is, it's already told us twice that this anointing remains in us or abides in us. And then the statement at the end is, abide in him. Right. Yes. So there's a like true biblical abiding cannot happen apart from a previous abiding in us by the Holy Spirit. Exactly right. So many people I think hear that term and again they think, you know, well, I've I've got to What do I have I've to got, do? Yeah, I've got to do all this yep. stuff, you know, and it's like, dude, until you realize that actual like biblical abiding cannot happen apart from the abiding work of the spirit in you first, then you don't understand what abiding is. Exactly, exactly. And so you've said that some of the marks of a true disciple of Christ are abiding in the truth of Christ and then the love that would mark us as as his own. And so what's the third thing? The third one is uh, in John chapter 15, verses seven and eight. And what Jesus is giving here now is the third distinguishing characteristic of what discipleship to him is all about. It's abiding in the truth of his word. It's uh, loving one another. And now this third one, John 15, 7 and 8, Jesus says, If you, again, abide or remain in me, in my words remain or abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified, this is the ESV right now, by this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So this is the third characteristic or evidence that a person is truly a disciple. They will abide in Jesus' word, his truth about reality. They will love because they now have God's heart and an endless supply of God's love. And then thirdly, they will bear fruit, which will be the proof that I'm a disciple. The proof of an apple tree is that it bears fruit of apples. Mm. It doesn't bear bananas. It bears apples. And so the fruit that we bear as disciples is, for me, threefold. One, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Mm. Secondly, the fruit of righteousness and good works. And thirdly, the fruit of a new generation of believers, Hmm. that my life will impact other people around me and bring them to Christ. Hmm. For me, again, the three statements of what discipleship is all about, and that this is what should characterize discipleship in the church today, Hmm. abiding in truth, loving one another, and bearing fruit. You know what's interesting about that, Mike, is as you said that, I think for a lot of Christians out there, they probably reverse 
the order that you put those in. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so a lot of times people will probably think something like, sometimes you hear this in discipleship circles as like, well, true discipleship is reproduction or yeah. like generational discipleship or right. who's your spiritual son or something like that, where they're focusing on that third aspect of, you know, the kind of new generations of believers. It's almost like that's the primary thing. Yes. And then they'll move on to be like, hey, that's the primary thing. And so let's work really hard to produce good works in ourselves. Yes. And somehow, hopefully, we'll get to this thing that is love, joy, peace, patience, kind of, you know, yeah. the yeah. fruit of the spirit. And and I think there's a reason maybe, or maybe not, I don't know if you've thought about this, but I think there's a reason that the order is the way that it is because you can't do any good works apart from the spirit producing his work, his fruit in your life. Exactly. And it starts with love. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Like love, joy, peace, patience, kind. And, and all of us know that's not something that you can just like conjure up. You don't just go, hmm, I'm going to feel love now. You know, like yeah. this yes. is something that God does in you. And then out of that is born this fruit of righteousness that manifests itself in the way that you live your life in a kingdom type of way, which ultimately, if that is the case, then that can't help but produce new generations of believers. Exactly and the right. whole time you're sitting there going, wait a minute, just like Paul said at the end of Colossians 1, he's going, hey, to this end, I labor with all of the strength that your power works so strenuously in me. That's kind of a butchered paraphrase, but basically what he's saying is, yeah, we work to that end, but the work that we do, the further along we go in that work, Mm -hmm. the more we realize we're not doing it. Yeah. So Mike, what do you say to those people who do have this priority of this reproduction? Like I am a disciple maker, therefore I will have 12 disciples in the next year. Like, what do you tell those people? I guess what I would tell them, well, this is going to sound kind of trite, but, um, you know, back when I first got saved, I was in the the hippie movement of the late 60s and early 70s. Yeah. (laughs) I was in Vietnam when Woodstock went on. Yeah, there you go. Um, Yeah, but but that was the whole Jesus movement. It was. It was. And that's what happened to me. I came out of that hippie movement and was part of the Jesus movement. Uh, I had an old beat-up Volkswagen van that I drove around, and there was a little sticker that I had. It sounds trite now, but there's a little sticker that I had above my windshield that just very simply said, Smile, God loves you. <laughs> and what's, what was the powerful thing about that is that I was a pretty miserable person mm. because of a lot of my past, just a lot of what I had experienced, and It was very true that as I experienced God's love for the first time, I was able to smile. And in being able to smile, I was able to look for the good uh, that I could work in the lives of people around me with the gospel. And it started by just simply loving them. I'm not sure if I'm getting to everything you were asking there, Karen, but I think think we reverse things. A lot of times we do, you know, we do evangelism just because it's expected of us. It's the good thing to do. Mm -hmm. But we really don't love these people. 
We don't, you know, and you can't really enter into a person's life until you love them. Mm. So I, I would say you just got to reverse the emphasis and learn how to love people, and then you'll really want to give them the gospel. Yeah, yeah. That's what Jesus did with us. You actually tell this story about John. Uh, I'll just read it. It says, one of the early church fathers, Jerome, tells a famous story of blessed John the Evangelist in extreme old age at Ephesus. He used to be carried into the congregation in the arms of his disciples and was unable to say anything except, little children love one another. And I can just picture this, like in my yeah. mind. At last, <laughs> weary of always hearing him speak these same words, they asked him, Master, why do you always say this? And man, I can just... Uh, if I'm picturing in my mind's eye, I think John probably heard them ask that question. And as an old man, he probably went in his mind's eye back to a young man on a beach with the master. <clears throat> and he replies to him and says, because it's the Lord's command. And if this only is done, it is enough. And there's that just simplicity that of love one another. Yeah. Um, and that, that truly is, it's the, the love of God manifest in the life of the disciple is the highest mark of a mature disciple. Mm. Here is one who, has, who is overwhelmed by the love of God. And that love just can't help but spill out to love others and, uh, and bear the fruit of the Spirit. So very true. Well, man, we're, we're pressed on time. This feels like uh, this is pregnant for another conversation on discipleship. So we'd love, to, uh, we'd love to have you back on in the future. But Mike, thanks for being with us, man. Thank you too, very much. I've enjoyed being with the both of you. Thanks for listening to the Equipping Podcast. If you liked it, keep listening. Tell your friends a lot, all the time. <laughs> and email us at equippingpodcast at watermark.org. Thanks for listening. Bye. Peace.